0: Episode 143 of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. I'm your host Michael McCall and the boys are back in town. But don't worry, I'm not going to sing for you. Yep, we're recording this on Friday the 22nd of January. And after what has felt like an age after that playoff defeat to Portland, Vancouver Whitecaps back at it. The players were back today for media day just to... Kind of have a little bit of chat about what they've been up to the off-season, their thoughts of the season ahead, all that kind of stuff. And after some medicals on Saturday and a rest day on Sunday, they're going to be hitting the training pitch for all of next week up at UBC before departing for Tucson and Arizona for the 2016 Desert Friendlies. Three games coming up there against Seattle, New England and Houston. So a lot of faces new and old in the preseason camp roster. Signed players, WFC2 players, residency players, super draft selections and a couple of guys that's been invited to camp. We'll cover some of these guys later. Of course it's been a a fairly quiet off-season really for the Whitecaps as we've discussed in previous podcasts. A lot of re-signing, strengthening the core of the team, tying some guys up to longer term deals but only two new additions to the squad so far anyway. Veteran Costa Rican midfielder Christian Bellanos, one of the worst-kept secrets in MLS, was uh, finally announced this week after being linked to the Whitecaps for what's felt like a month now, I think it has been. Now, Bolanos isn't going to be joining up with the Whitecaps until they're down in Tucson. But the other new addition to the Whitecaps this year, Japanese striker Masato Kuro, he was there on the first day of camp and had his official introduction to Vancouver media. So let's hear a little bit now from the all-time leading scorer of Rasol. Now, Masato's English isn't quite great yet for doing interviews on his own, so he had a translator with him. So what I've done for this audio is I've put the questions that we asked him in English, and then I've cut out the translator asking the questions in Japanese, kept in Masato's answers just to get a kind of flavour of him and how he's answered the questions. And for anyone that speaks Japanese out there, you can hear exactly what he said and then just the translated answer back. And just a little bit of word of warning as well, that it was very noisy in the room, and it was a little bit hard to get some great audio, so it's not perfect, but I'll give you a little bit of a flavour and an introduction to the player, and we'll just see how he progresses as the season goes on. So here is Masato Kudo.
1: Hi, hey. hey. I'm Masato Kudo. Nice to meet you.
0: Call me Masato. Thank you. <laughs> so Masato, you've spent your whole career so far in Japan in the J League. What is behind your decision to now come to Canada and to
1: Major League Soccer? Well,
2: so I knew that uh, the Major League Soccer has a higher level of play, uh,
1: so he was really excited to come over and play at a higher level. How much
0: have you seen of the
1: league? How much do you know about it? Uh,
2: So in Japan, it's not really broadcasted a lot, uh, Major League Soccer games, uh, but he does watch it online sometimes.
0: And coming over at this stage of your career, is it to have a fresh challenge or is it to kind of advance your international
1: aspirations? Um, I want to
2: grow more as a player, so uh, my decision to come over here was uh, to increase my level. Nasuto,
1: can you describe your contribution as a player in your team and what you can bring here to the White?
2: I want to contribute by uh, playing hard, defense, um, scoring a lot of goals, and uh, just being a good teammate.
3: Definitely
4: proud of here to score goals, obviously. Can
3: you ask him how um,
5: you know how we?
1: usually scores them or what, what do you think his strength is as a goal scorer? So I usually score goals in the penalty area, so I
2: try my best to score a lot of goals there. You've come into a team, many players
3: speak
2: Spanish. Is more important
1: to learn English first to you, Spanish? First? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, so... Um, I'm currently learning English right now, so if I have the opportunity and um, if I feel very comfortable, if I the time, I'd like to also learn Spanish.
0: Is
1: that going to be a challenge? Not just knowing the language, begins start the season. So it's not that much
2: of a challenge. Uh the teammates are very helpful and very uh um, happy
0: and uh they help me out a lot with my English. I'm not
6: sure.
0: Talking of challenges, there you're going to be playing on artificial pitches. Have you ever played on that kind of surface
1: before? So
2: the majority of the stadiums in Japan are um I guess real grass. So uh he doesn't get the chance or I don't get the chance to play on turf very much, artificial grass. Uh so he, I would like to uh practice a lot and try to get better and see what the differences are.
0: Now you're coming to a team that the last two years they've struggled to score. Do
1: you feel added pressure that you need to kind of make an immediate impact with goal scoring? Uh, no,
2: there's no added pressure. Uh, I've already even I've already knew, known that. Uh... There was, um, he's coming over here, or I'm coming over here for
0: goal scoring in general, so uh, there isn't that much pressure. And there hasn't been a, a number of Japanese players come over to Major League Soccer. Do you feel there might be players wanting to see how well you do? and that might lead to more players deciding to come over from the J-League. I uh, think that's what I
1: want to do, and I think that's what I want to do. I want to be able to play a lot of goals here, and I think that's what I want to do in Japan, and I think that's what My aspiration is um, to play very well, so
2: that uh, more Japanese players uh, will come over to play in the Major League Soccer, and
0: hopefully that Japan will broadcast more Major League Soccer for the for them to see what it's like and can you maybe just tell us a little bit about what it was like as a, a child growing up playing soccer in Japan what age did you start playing and how was your development as a
1: youth yeah 俺は
2: since I was 10 up till last year, uh, the team's very family, very tight community. Um, since uh, elementary school and junior high, we've all been together, playing at the same field, practicing in the same field. Everything was really close, so it's a it was a very
1: family-like situation.
0: And what what's your first impressions of the city of Vancouver?
1: Uh, my first impressions of Vancouver were um it there's a lot of nature
2: and it's very beautiful. Um the people here are very welcoming. Uh however it's been very cloudy the past few days, so I'm hoping that uh it becomes really sunny so I can go sightseeing.
0: You might have a few few weeks to read for
2: that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So Masato Kuro there Looking forward to starting his new journey in Vancouver And I think we're all excited to see exactly what he can bring to this team Has Kyle Robinson finally found the missing piece of the goal-scoring jigsaw I think we're all hoping that and it's going to be a lot bit of pressure on the guy. He has got a really good track record of scoring goals and I think when you're when you bringing in any new striker you are expecting him to kind of hit the ground running as Octavio Rivera did last year. There's going to be a lot of new things for him, a lot of travel that he's not used to, artificial pitches as you heard there that he's not used to and just the whole new environment. He doesn't speak that good English so far, he has taken lessons. So there's a, a lot for him to, to kind of take on board. But the general expectation is this could be an absolutely fantastic signing for the Whitecaps. And there's been a lot of buzz about Kuro signing for the Whitecaps and the new MLS season down in Japan. Now our knowledge of Kuro before he came here was nil. And our knowledge of the J-League was just a little bit above that. So for that very reason, we caught up with an American journalist who now calls Japan home. Dan Orlowitz writes for Football Channel down in Japan, he does their English language version of the website and we'll explain a little bit more about that during our chat with him and at the end of it as well we'll give you some details as to to find all his stuff online. But last weekend I gave Dan a call, had a really good 20 minute chat with him, just about the comparisons between J League and MLS and to find out a little bit more about Masato Kuro. What's the buzz been like with them signing for the Whitecaps? How's MLS looked upon down in Japan? And is it an untapped market? And are we going to see a lot more Japanese players now maybe coming over to MLS if Kudo is a success? So we discussed all this and a lot more beside. I found a very interesting chat with Dan. Hope you do as well. So let's hear from him now. Here is Dan Orlowitz. So we're joined now by Dan Orlowitz. He's a, an American in Japan. He's a journalist covering the J-League and the Japanese national team for Football Channel and a few other things as well. So Dan, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Uh, Michael, thank you for having me.
0: It's a pleasure. So first thing to really ask you, how, how does an American journalist end up in Japan covering Japanese football? Uh, well, uh, I
4: guess, an American journalist doesn't do is an American uh, anime nerd who studied in Tokyo and loved it and came back to be an American music photographer uh, who found out that music uh, photography doesn't pay so much, but writing about the J-League does. And uh, it's been a a very interesting nine years, I guess. I just uh, just celebrated nine years in Tokyo and... uh, it's a fantastic scene. It's a great country. It's a, a great culture, and uh, the soccer is, is very fun. And uh, been very privileged to work in the scene.
0: Now, my, my knowledge of, of Japanese football it's limited. i, I avid like fell in love watching watching the passion of the fans during the two thousand and two World Cup, and I think that's where a lot of people kind of really got their their first experience of Japanese football and Japanese football fans. But the the passion for the game down there just seems massive.
4: It's a very interesting uh, position, I, I guess I could say, because the sport. I, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna. I might say soccer. I might say football, because I'm. Um, I'm used to uh, saying either, and if I don't say soccer at least once, they revoke my passport.
0: Yeah, I, I'm confused myself these days.
4: It, it's um, the, the a league, I should say. It's a very family-friendly league. It's a very uh, safe stadium atmosphere. And you see just a, a very diverse crowd, young, old men, women, couples, families, people by themselves. And it, the fans are super passionate. As far as soccer's placed in, in the Japanese sporting landscape, it's the, the second most popular sport uh, behind baseball. Uh, but it's a much younger and diverse crowd and a much more sort of, in a way, internationally-minded crowd. Uh, mind you, about 98-point-something percent of Japan's population is Japanese. So when I say diverse, there's sort of there's limits. Uh, but it, it's a crowd, and it's a fandom that's very interested in the sport, and you find that interest extends to all areas of sport. You can find fans who are just into any league, and any player, and all sorts of uh, wonderful niche stuff. So the, the sport is very popular here, and the, the J League itself is going through a bit of a transition as they've changed the format uh, starting last year to try to bring in more commercial interest. And uh, so, so that's a bit of a, a thing that we've been adjusting to. But overall, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful soccer country. It's uh, re- really up there with the U.S. in terms of growth and interest in recent years.
0: And that that was one of the things that that interest me uh, for for chatting to you. The, the J League it started in in ninety three. MLS was officially formed at the end of ninety three, al- although it didn't start until ni- ninety six. So that the leagues are kind of on a par age wise, size wise, growth wise. I, I, J League first division has eighteen teams but with promotion and relegation, whereas obviously MLS doesn't. How do you see the leagues comparing? I mean, do you feel J-League is bigger than MLS in global terms, or do you, do you see MLS being bigger than J-League? I have told people for the last couple
4: of years that they are two sides of a great league. If you were to take a, the, the J-League's development Uh, The technical abilities of the players, the youth academies, the foundations on which uh, these clubs have built a very strong local following. If you take that and combine it with uh, the MLS's facilities, uh, specifically all all the wonderful stadiums that have uh, popped up, and specifically the league marketing acumen and media acumen, if you took those and combined them, you would absolutely have one of the greatest leagues in the world. i say that without hesitation. The, the problem is that, as uh, it stands right now, I think the MLS is still working on the development side of the players, and the, the J-League is very behind in terms of uh, how it's handling media in the 21st century. But if you look at them, they're, they're basically cousins, or you could even call them twin-separated at birth. I think that the, the league, is, the, the J League did some very smart things early on, a few very stupid things early on, but mostly smart things. And the MLS uh, has the challenge of trying to build a, a soccer league, including things such as promotion, relegation, and band culture and all that, in a country that's not quite used to it. So you know, there's there's been adjustments, but I think that you know, both leagues, I would say that the J League has stronger teams right now, but the MLS definitely has stronger promotion and better marketing. But you know, if you took those strengths and combined them, absolutely one of the world's best leagues.
0: And I, I guess it, it's tough as well over here because there's just so much competition. But describing it as cousins, I think, is a is a good way to do it. And there's are there actually many American players in Japan?
4: American players in Japan. At this moment, I want to say no. Uh, there were there have been a couple uh, women's players who have played in the Nadeshiko League. Uh, not, not, none that I can really name off the top of my head at the moment. And there were a couple young players, young Americans, I should say, who played. I think they were attached to some second and third division teams a couple years ago. And none of them really got uh, much, if any, playing time. And I could look up a list, and I'm sure there have been a couple uh, American players in the J-League over the years, but no one who you'd remember.
0: Well, of course, the big news out here in Vancouver is, as of the time of recording this, our only actual new signed edition of the off-season is Japanese player, striker, Masato Kudo, who's come to Vancouver from Kashiwa Resol, and, I mean, there's a lot of anticipation here Looking at his highlight reel role He looks a fantastic player And a really good fit for the Whitecaps And the Whitecaps, if anything, need a goal scorer how, how do you think Kudo is going to kind of fit in over here?
4: Honestly, it, it, his, well, his departure is, is a huge loss for the J-League um, It is was probably one of the most surprising moves of the offseason, if not the most surprising. It, you have to say it's a stupid decision by Rayshol to let him go. Um, as, a, as a photographer, I've seen him up close and personal uh, on numerous occasions on the pitch, and he's just brilliant. He, he's a smart player. He's a very physically capable player, which you don't always find in Japan because I think here, just, just because of the, the physique of most players, you find them focusing on the technical aspects and sort of agility over strength, but he can handle himself, and you know he knows when to take the shots, and uh, just, just a, a fantastic striker. I think that he's going to have some challenges. I think that language is going to be a bit of a challenge. Uh, I'm not quite sure how long he's going to have a translator for, and how much he's going to rely on that translator. But absolutely, just the, it's the right age, it's the right time, and I think that if he uh, deals with the cultural transition very well, he's absolutely going to have the potential to be one of the white cap stars and even one of the, the top strikers in the league so eventually, maybe not this year, but certainly in the years to come.
0: Now the the thing just from doing my research on Kudo, obviously all-time leading scorer with Rayo, and he's played for the national team at youth, well under twenty-three, under twenty-one level, and also with the senior team for a few caps. He looks to have been a a big name, and you say it's a, a big loss to the league. As it stands right now, though, it doesn't look that he's guaranteed to be a starter in the the White Caps lineup, unless the White Caps decide to kind of make a slight formational change. Would it be a major shock to you if he was just kind of sitting on the bench over here to start with?
4: It wouldn't be a major shock if he started on the bench because obviously he's adjusting to a very different environment and uh, very different methods of coaching and training and he, you know there is going to be an adjustment period you could argue that you know if, if you want to compare him to other Japanese stars, you know, Keisuke Honda or Shinji Sugawa could, could walk onto any team in the world and be ready from day one. I think that he is going to have to earn that spot in the starting lineup, but once he does, and I have no doubt that he will, uh, he, he will shine. I don't think he's going to go all the way to the MLS just to be a, a bench player. I don't think uh, think Just from from his comments and uh, from his attitude, I don't think he sees it as his uh, mission either. I think he's he's even said in his uh, comments uh, to the fans after the uh, transfer was announced. He said, "Vancouver have, have asked me to go
0: go there and score goals, and that's what I intend to do." Essentially, and that's what I was going to ask you. Like it, for me, it was a bit of a shock seeing twenty five year old player in his prime coming from a, a good league, a, a strong league. What do you think is going to make a player like that want to come over to North America? I mean, he's not on a designated player contract. We don't know what his salary is yet until it comes out in a few months' time. But what do you think his main motivations are for, for coming over here, just putting himself in a, in a bigger shop window, maybe? I think that that
4: is somewhat of a, a part of it. Uh, he has said in interviews and in comments, the statements he has made through the club that he's wanted to, to play overseas and he wants to play uh, against the world is, is one way of saying it. He has experienced uh, the Asian AFC Champions League, uh, which is you know, our version of you know, the, the, the same Champions League that's held everywhere else, but he's played, uh, I think, three seasons. There. Uh, he, he won the league with Ray Sol in 2011 and played in the Club World Cup. Uh, he's played, I believe, he's played in the uh, Suduga Bank Championship, which is between the Nabisco Cup and Sudamericano winners. Uh, he's played in the East Asian Cup. He's got plenty of international experience, and I think he wants to experience that more regularly. And he has said that. Yes, Europe was an option, but the MLS is getting a lot of attention and a lot of very good players. You know, Giovenco in Toronto to start with, Girard in Los Angeles, Lampard in New York, Pirlo in New York, Kaka in uh, Orlando City. I mean, this is where, you know, the big players are going to. Granted, these are big players who are arguably past their prime, but it's
0: White cats play on a, an artificial pitch and there's less and less teams in MLS that are doing that, but I mean, half his season is, is going to be on an artificial pitch. Is that something that he's used to in Japan? My knowledge, as I say, of the J-League's not very much. I mean, is, there, is it mainly grass pitches there or are there a number of artificial pitches? It is uh,
4: mainly, uh, I can't off the top of my head think of a, actually you no, know, I guess, I don't think there are any artificial pitches in the J League. Uh, I will say that Japanese players, uh, especially in those those who go up through the, the school, you know, the, the schooling. Uh, sorry, I should say the, the scholastic leagues, junior high school, high school, etc. Those high school players are basically playing on dirt. No, no grass to be seen. if you go to a, a public school in Japan. Odds are their, their playground is dirt, and that's what they're playing on. So I, I don't see Artificial Turf as being that much of a problem. I think that he's played, especially uh, on the international level and in, in international fixtures. I, I don't think he's always played on pitches with the best conditions. So I'm not all that concerned. I think it will obviously have to adjust uh, his footing and change out his uh, his shoes. But once he does that, you know, I don't
0: see a problem. And that there hasn't been a, a lot of Japanese players come into the league. In fact, there's not even been that many Asian players in the league. Vancouver had one before with Dago Kobayashi, who's at New England now, and doing much better at New England than, than he did out here. If Kudo does well, do, do you see this? Kyle Robinson described it as kind of a, an untapped market, really, for MLS out in Asia. Do you see this possibly signalling the way for a lot more Japanese stars looking to come over to North America? I think that if Kudo does well,
4: it could be the death of the J-League. Interesting. And, and, and I'll tell you what I mean when I say that. The way that contracts are handled in the J-League is ridiculous to anyone with a fundamental understanding of how it works in Europe. It's a country where a lot is decided on a handshake. It's that sort of culture. And so you have these players, especially veteran players, who uh, you see at, at the end of the year in, in late December and then in early uh, January. teams announcing, that oh, we've re-signed such-and-such players to a contract, and you look at that and you're thinking, like, why are they announcing players like Yasuhito Endo, who is a legend, you know, why is he constantly being signed to a one-year contract? And that's the thing. They don't really do the multi-year contract thing. It's very troubling in in some ways. It's exciting because I want to see more Japanese players in the MLS, but there is a lot of untapped potential here, and I think there's a lot of Japanese players who are good enough for the J-League, not good enough for Europe, probably good enough to do well in the MLS. So we'll have to see how he does. Well,
0: that's interesting to hear that, and I know, like, Carl Robinson likes to go after free agents, and he did say he was actually offered... Uh, Kudo last year probably was still under contract and he couldn't get things done, so he just waited until he was out of contract. So the, the last thing to ask you really, what is the coverage of MLS like in Japan? Is it shown much? Do you think people will take a lot more interest now that Kudo is out here? I know we've had a lot more people like just checking our site, coming and reading stuff from Japan, Twitter followers from Japan. Is there much coverage just now and do you think that will now increase? The coverage of the MLS, it's basically limited to
4: news articles about popular players who are going over there and the, the occasional think piece on how the MLS is doing its business and marketing strategy because, as I mentioned earlier, the J-League is struggling and the MLS is, is in a lot of ways succeeding. And so the league is now looking towards the MLS as a model to sort of to emulate, to things up here, I think the biggest uh, neck, and, and there has been a ton of interest in the MLS and in, in Kudo, especially because he's such a young player but the the challenge will be whether or not there's broadcast if someone can show the games in Japan I think more people will start to watch not many people, you know, it, might, it won't be tens of thousands it'll probably even be in the thousands or even hundreds depending on what time of day the games are shown in. But if you start to show those games, if you start to offer them even online, not even through the satellite broadcasters, I think people will start to watch. He spent 12 years, he spent a ridiculous amount of time uh, with Kachua Reifel from their under-12 team uh, to several years on the top team. Those fans love him, and they'll definitely keep watching him if they have a way to do so.
0: Well, that's great to hear. Thank you so much for giving up some time this weekend to, to speak to us, Dan. Just before you go, if you just want to let everyone know where they can find you online.
4: Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at uh, Aishiteru Tokyo, which uh, I won't bother to, to spell out, but I'm, I'm sure you'll include it.
0: In yeah, we'll put it on our website.
4: Um, I write for a uh, football channel in, in Japan. It's a Japanese site, but we also have an Asian... Uh, English Language Edition, and you can find us on Twitter at uh, fc.asia or on the web at footballchannel.asia. And I've actually, as a side project, I've started up a, a Twitter account uh, talking about the MLS in Japanese. And uh, this is totally a hobby for now, uh, but you can find that at, at MLS Japan on Twitter and going to be working very hard this year to to fill that up with content and uh, share more of the MLS with Japanese fans here. So really looking forward to what should be a fun season.
0: Well, that's great. And we'll, we'll tweet that out as well for folk to give that a follow. And good luck with that. So thanks again for your time, Dan. And I'm sure we'll speak to you soon.
4: Yes, thank you again for having me.
0: So there was a great chat with Dan Orlovitz. there. You can find him on Twitter at Ishiteru Tokyo and that is at A-I-S-H-I-T-E-R-U-T-O-K-Y-O. And as we said, he's a journalist covering J-League and Japanese soccer for Football Channel. You can find them on Twitter at football underscore C-H and the website is footballchannel.jp. So we're going to get our first look at Kudo in action on the training pitch next week here in Vancouver and then in the three desert friendlies as we mentioned as well. It's going to be interesting to see how he integrates into the team and especially how Carl Robinson decides to play him. Are they going to go for two up front? Are they going to kind of play with maybe Rivero as a bit for false nine and Kudo and up front? I honestly think that we're going to see two different formations from Carl Robinson this year. I think we're going to see a home formation where he is going to play with the two strikers. Then on the road, I think it's going to be a little bit more cagey. Just go for the one striker. Whether that will be Rivero or Kudo, we'll have to wait and see. But Rivero's hold-up play is kind of maybe made a little bit more for the road to start with, bringing Kudo off the bench. So Kudo is just one of a number of new faces that we're going to see at pre-season camp this year. A lot of old ones there as well, and a couple of guys that we didn't think were still going to be here when training camp began. Darren Mattix doesn't arrive until Saturday, but he is meant to be here for Monday. And Gershon Coffee as well. Long-time white cap. A lot of rumours in the off-season that he was exploring possibilities of a move to Europe. Roundabout drafty that was a name that was getting thrown out as well as possible trade bait. But as friend of the show and AFTN contributor Zachary Meisenheimer mentioned in one of our Roundtable podcasts a couple of weeks back, Kofi doesn't want to play in MLS for any other team than the Whitecaps, so if he is going to move on, and the Whitecaps could do with freeing up a little bit of salary space, and they're very heavy at the DM position, a move to Europe would be fantastic for both the club and the player. Now, most recent reports have him linked to a couple of teams in Belgium, so I got a chance to catch up with Gersh at Media Day today, just to ask him about those rumours, how he spent his off season down in Ghana, where if you didn't see the article, he spent a little bit of time with the Canadian Commissioner down there, talking about how he's wanting to set up a football school to try and get more Ghanaians over to Canada, and also about the fast tracking of his Canadian citizenship application. So a lot to talk about. And here's Gersh doing just that. Uh so Gersh, first thing to ask you, how how did you find your off season? You you seem to be really busy down in Ghana. Did you have a good time down there?
6: I do know I was busy in Ghana all the photos
0: are yeah. everywhere newspapers I read Guinean newspapers <laughs> <laughs> you're, at, you're at the high commission
6: yeah I went there to introduce my team to them and um, thank them for opportunity that uh, they gave me and I also talked to them about like helping kids back home if they can play and they are educated and now we can help them once in a while one of them can travel and go change his life so okay. that's what we talk about
5: Gershon, your name's been linked in a bit of transfer rumors, have you heard anything further about that?
6: No, actually in Ghana we, the internet is very slow, very very slow. So I didn't really go on Whitecaps website and read something. If I got to see something maybe uh, on no, Instagram, but I don't think anybody posted nothing on Instagram. So.
4: Well, was it not Instagram or the Whitecaps website? It linked you to a couple of Belgian clubs. How would you feel about uh, a move or something like that?
6: Now you, you just told me something to read, you just talk about something, I'm going to read it now. Yeah, I'm going to get home and read it and I'll, I'll get back to you. But as now, I didn't I didn't, so I didn't know. I haven't read anything about it.
0: How happy are you here? Do you feel you need a new challenge? or you, You've been here five, six years now. Do you feel you need a new challenge or are you still happy here?
6: Yeah, so every year we have a new challenge, every single year. But it's, the challenge made the team better. Up to now, and I think more challenges will make us bring home some trophies. So, challenges are good, it's good.
0: And one of the other things which we read about you is your Canadian citizenship mm-hmm. applications getting fast tracked. <laughs> what's, what's behind that?
6: I think they are still working on it. I called um, the lawyer before I went home, and he told me when I get back, I should just give him a call maybe next week and see how, how, how far they are.
0: And are you needing to get that fast track just in case you do go overseas?
6: Um, if I go overseas, I could still get my passport or my citizenship if I have to get it. I think I've, I've um, given everything that I should get it now, so the Europe is not, can't stop me from getting it back. Now I'm happy to be back. Would you
4: like to play over there one day?
6: Yeah, I think every single player in this day, even those who, are, who came from Europe wanted to play in Europe. So, but we'll see what the future brings.
4: Has Carl said how
6: he's going to use you this year, in what position or formation No, not really. I think Carl, this is right there. I, when I came in, I wanted to talk to him, but I'm just seeing him there. So I haven't talked to him yet, but the most thing you know, is I'm really, really happy to be back here now. I can't just wait for Monday. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Perfect. Thanks so much. Gosh. So some fun answers from Gershon Kofi there. That was myself and Har asking the questions. So he says there's no substance or basis to these Belgium rumours that that sprung up and were on a Ghanaian website, I think last week. And he's never hidden the fact that he wants to play in Europe one day and whether that will be sooner or later remains to be seen. One thing though that is for certain is that the Whitecaps are stacked at depth in that DM position. You've got Laba as the starter, you've got Kofi and Tybert battling for that number two role, if there is a number two role. A lot's going to depend on what kind of formation Kyle Robinson wants to go with. Is he going to go with one DM? Is he going to play like a 4-1-3-2, 4-4-2 diamond? I mean, it's all up in the air and he's going to tinker and try out a few things during the pre-season Kofi and Tybert aside, you've also got Debbie Flores, you've got Ben McHenry pushing for minutes back there. It's going to be really hard to see how Kyle Robinson kind of fits in minutes for all these guys and manages to keep them happy. So we heard from Kofi, let's hear a little bit now from a guy that's challenging him for that DM role, Russell Tybert. Now Rusty underwent some surgery in the off-season, he had an ankle injury which he had kept quiet. There's a bone splint, it's all taken care of. He's just kind of rehabbing that just now, so we don't know exactly whether he'll be good to go for the start of the season or a little bit into it. Another guy that's been with the club for a number of years, so I just asked him a couple of things as to what he feels he's going to need to do to kind of get those starting minutes and to kind of establish himself as a starter on the team this year. And here's what Rusty had to say. Last season, I think it's fair to say you didn't get as many minutes as you would maybe have liked. The position, the DM position, seems stacked. What do you need to kind of do to stand out? To I mean, did the injury hold you back last year, or what do you
5: feel you need to do this year? To no, uh,
0: that
5: yeah, I don't think the injury held me back. Um, like I said, it wasn't it wasn't easy to play through, but used to pain, used to playing through pain. Um, but it was just the off season; it was a necessary time to take care of that injury. And uh, I take it as a compliment when you say the defensive midfield position is stacked because those are the guys you work with daily, and we make each other better. Um, you know, credit to those guys, Matias Lava, uh, Gershon Kofi, both fantastic guys, and even better players, and, and Davy Flores as well, just a young guy. But uh, you can see the talent and 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 work and and uh, potential that he has. So yes, there's a um, each of us has different characteristics. I think that's important of setting yourself apart from each other. Um, there's there's certain things that I want to do this year that I didn't do last year, and uh, I don't want to talk about them. I just want to do them.
0: And- you're one of the most versatile players on the team. The attacking skills that you showed back in 2013, I guess. Yeah. How do you refine that attacking vein of form to your game?
5: Yeah, like I say, there's there's things I didn't do last year, and I think there was things I focused more on last year than the attacking side of the game. But that is something I need to bring back to my game. Um, that attacking element is uh, could be what sets sets myself apart from from other players. But other players as well had different qualities that set themselves apart from me. So. You know, at the end of the day, it comes down to the boss and his decisions. And uh, if it's if it's my turn to play or if he chooses me to play on that day, I'll do my best my capabilities.
0: So Rusty, like a number of the young guys, they're going to be battling these guys that Kyle Robinson's brought in. He's brought in a lot of foreign talent. He's got a really strong offensive team. You've got to try and get minutes for the likes of Keans Froze, Marco Bustos, and a few other guys as well. Robbo said during the media day that the likes of Bustos, he made one MLS appearance last year, so his challenge is to try and get him at least five. Kian's made 10 appearances, so he's challenging him to try and make 15 to 20. Injuries and in the number of games going to see these guys getting a lot more minutes, but it's going to be hard to fit a lot of these players in. Probably the homegrown guy that's got the best chance of getting minutes this year is going to be Sam Adekugbe. He's going to be in a huge battle with Jordan Harvey again for the left-back position. As we played in previous podcasts, Robbo has challenged his full-backs to be more attacking this year to get forward a bit more. That definitely suits Sam's style of play probably a little bit more than Jordan. Like I said about the strikers, what you could see in the left-pack position is someone like Sam maybe playing a bulk of the home game, someone like Jordan playing a bulk of the away games where you're looking to defend a little bit more. Harvey came away from pre-season last year within the starters position. Sam quickly took it off him and then seemed to establish himself as the number one before getting injured. Jordan came back into the team, played out of his skin and deservedly took the position back and never relinquished it for the rest of the year. Now it's going to be another battle again this year. And I got a chance to ask Jordan just how he's feeling about that going into pre-season camp and does he feel a better mindset maybe coming into this year to, to establish himself and keep that starters position. So here's what Jordan had to tell me. You had a battle last pre-season with with Sam. You're obviously going to expect the same again this year. When I spoke to you last year, you you said you felt you hadn't come into pre-season camp in the right kind of mindset or shape. Do you feel better this year and up for the challenge?
5: Yeah, I I mean, I was very candid and and honest about how I came in last year, and I was fit. I was absolutely fit. I just hadn't played with the ball as much as I would have liked in terms of being sharp. And so this year I, I made it a point to do fitness with the ball and and really and come in early. I got in at the beginning of January and been working with our training staff and uh, and trying to get uh, in my top levels. And uh, you know, I'll be candid again. You know, we'll we'll see how how things go in this preseason, but every position here, I think out of every MLS team, I think we have the best depth. Um, we have the most competition for starting spots on this squad and so Every position is uh, is a battle, and, and you'll see, um, you know, things change, things remain the same this whole preseason.
0: Now we're going to catch up with a lot more of the guys next week as training camp really gets underway up at UBC. There's eight WFC two players in the camp: goalkeeper Spencer Ritchie, defenders Caden Chong, Jackson Farmer, Chris Serbin, Declan Wynn, and midfielders Victor Blasco, Thomas Gardner, and Brett Levis. Also three residency guys taking part in camp as well, Matthew and Michael Baldissimo and Alfonso Davies. If you listened to our last podcast, you'll have heard us chat to all three first and second round Superdraft selections, Cole Seiler, Christopher Hellman and Thomas Sanner. All three of them are also going to be in training camp. And a couple of intriguing names have been added as camp invitees. Canadian midfielder Giuliano Frano, who last season spent time with Sounders 2, and two strikers, Canadian Daniel Haber, and he's been capped at senior level for the, the Canadian national team. And a very intriguing one, uh, another guy that saw USL action last year, this time with Timbers 2, Fatou Safiu, a Ghanaian, under-20 international, went to the same club as Gershon Kofi. Certainly knows the way to net, I think he got something like seven goals for Timbers 2 last year. Scored against the Whitecaps in the game that I saw down in Portland. But my lasting memory from that game was the flying elbow that took out Chris Serbin and ended his WFC2 season. So, if he can bring that kind of aggression against the opposition, I might be quite happy with that. But he's a goal scorer and WFC2 struggled to find enough goals last year. They've added a few guys that are going to have a look at, so... It's going to be interesting. All three of those guys, I think you're looking at USL contracts. But I'm keen to see how they, they kind of shape up it in pre-season camp and then when WC2 camp gets underway on the 1st of February. So when I was speaking to Gershon, I asked him as well what he knew of his countrymen and what he feels that he can offer the white cap, so play a little bit of that now. Then I also spoke to Robbo, just asking about these players that have come into the camp as invitees, just a little bit as well about the size of the roster and whether he expects some moves to happen before first kick. There's a Ghanaian player in the pre-season camp as well, uh, Saifu Safu. Yeah, Fatao um, Salifu. I think. Yeah. What, what do you know about him? He's from your old club in Ghana. What, do you know much about him?
6: Yeah, he's a good guy off, on and off the field. He's, he get power, he, get, he can shoot, he can dribble. He's, he's very talented. And uh, I just hope uh, everything goes on well with him. The, I, I can help him, show him around, show him the team like people did to me when I came. So everything is upon him to do what, what he is best to do. But he can deliver, though.
5: Yeah.
0: You've got a pretty full roster. Do you see a lot of movement between now and first kick?
3: There will be. There will be movement. You know, I can't stand here in front of you and say that this is the squad I'm going with because I'm sure there will be, you know, one or two different additions, whether it's in or out the door. So we're always looking, and if I wasn't looking, I wouldn't be doing my job correctly. So who, you know, we don't know that yet. Um, but we're always looking to try and make it stronger and better. Um, So I'm sure there'll be one or two little bits of movement prior to the first kick. It's
0: quite a big pre-season squad that you've brought in as well. The three guys that you've brought in as invitees, especially Saifu from T2. What have you seen about them that you want to have a look at?
3: Well, with obviously our USL team now, which is very important for the development of of the football club as well, there's opportunities for young players that we don't think are quite ready yet. You know Alan uh, has identified a number of players to look at um, for his, his roster as well as mine so you know we've got two or three roster spots available and if we think any of the USL guys whether they're sign guys of ours or whether they're you know um, invitee players coming in you know I'll leave one open because usually in preseason someone does surprise you and I like that I like a challenge and I like someone to surprise me so uh, we're hoping they come in and, and grab the chance um, that we're going to give them.
0: So a like to look forward to we're going to bring you a lot more stuff over the next coming weeks in the build-up to the new MLS season. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. I'm also the Whitecaps Beat Reporter for MLSsoccer.com, so check out all my stuff on that. So until next time, as always, thanks for listening, take care, and more on the caps.